Hi, and welcome to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning. If you've got your Bibles, open them up to Psalm chapter 16. That's where we're going to be this morning. I want to remind you guys next week of our time of missions and prayer that we're going to have uh, next Sunday afternoon to evening time. Uh, we're going to start in here at 4 o'clock. For the most part, it's going to be all of us, all right? We're going to have uh, the, the nursery open for our babies and toddlers, but one of the things that we've held to as a core value is that missions need to be taught, experienced, and lived out across the generations. And so our children's ministry and our students ministry, embody that and embrace that. Last Sunday night in student ministry, they had the, the campus pastor from USC, Jamie Rogers, come and share here with our students on Sunday night, talking about living life on mission. And our children's ministry is doing a wonderful job as well with teaching about our different missionary partners. And so we want to make this a, a family experience as much as we can as we come to talk about missions and, and, and pray for our missionaries and our mission uh, partnerships that we have have. As we talk about that, I want to remind everyone uh, we will not be live streaming that service. In fact, we're not really sharing a lot of the details because one of the missionaries we will have here, uh, many of you, if not most of you or all of you, except for myself and a few staff, will be meeting this missionary and, and his wife, this missionary team, for the very first time as the country they serve in. We can't say publicly, but he will be able to share with us the details of us that eat with us that evening. And so you will want to be there. It'll be from around 4 to 5.30-ish, 6-ish during that time frame. And so please be here for a wonderful time with us as we talk about missions, as we hear what God is doing, and as we gather for a moment to pray for all that the Lord is doing, not only in our uh, partnerships, but all over the world. Well, well, speaking of missions, I want to kind of connect some of our pieces. I got back this week from a wonderful time of being up at Black Mountain Children's Home with some of our men and doing missions work. And so I wanted to share with you guys, give you guys a quick update of that trip. I, I will say the challenge that, this, uh, that the Black Mountain leaders gave us to this group of men was this, try to be as good as your middle schoolers. Because they've said the, the, the level of serving that they hold everyone accountable to that comes there is based off of the Willow Ridge Church middle school students who have been serving there faithfully for three summers now. And so that's, that's big expectations. I've been there. In fact, riding in our very first um, um, summer that we came up there, they were getting ready to open up a, a thrift store and a cafe so that they can uh, teach to these kids that are at, the, at the, the, the children's home there. They can teach them retail skills. They can teach them restaurant skills so they can take these and, and build on these, but they needed some landscaping done. And so I'm riding in there with a group of men and you see these beautifully uh, green grass and, 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 and very neat landscape that's done. And I said, I just want y'all to know all of this was done by our middle school boys and girls. And we weren't out there with heavy machinery. They were out there getting this done with, with rakes and shovels and hoes and taking care 
of all that. And one guy in the back seat was like, wow, are you kidding me? I'm like, no, no, no. This is the standard that you have to live up to this week, all right? Now, God doesn't compare us, but we do, all right? And so uh, we want to make sure that you can beat them. And they didn't beat them, but they met the expectation, and so that was a wonderful thing. They, they, they hoped that we were going to be able to build a deck over the course of the week, and at the end of the first day, a deck had been completed. And so by the end of the week of these men faithfully serving there, um, a deck was built onto one of the cabins that, that needed it, uh, a building that needed, the, that needed to be finished in and, and kind of sealed in, weathered in, had been completed both of those jobs they thought it would take a full week to do um, and they were able to get them done in a day and a half a day uh, these men crawled underneath uh, the, these cabins and, and fixed plumbing issues that they had and, and I think uh, and, and, and I can get corrected later but if not I'm going to say this they fully plumbed two of the cabins that were there as well as fully trimming out two of the cabins so that they will be ready for people to come up to Black Mountain this summer and so it was just a, a wonderful time a wonderful experience Experience. Uh, our Bible study time was great. Uh, there was 10 of us that went. Um, I believe, if my math is correct, five of the men who went, this was their first time serving on the mission field. And so it was just a wonderful experience. Uh, and so I thank the men who went and their families who sent them. Uh, I reminded the guys that are there, you know, it, it, we were sitting around the, the campfire that night. And, and Mike Morgan was leading the Bible study, and Mike Morgan was talking to us about what it mean, means to embrace the, the Great Commission and to live a life that's sent uh, out for, for God's mission and what we were doing there. And, and, you know, and we think about those that go, but we also have to remember those that are sending those that go, all right? And, and so I think all the families that sent us, you know, uh, I get to live in that with my wife who, uh, when I leave, there's, there's two of us and she has to step up and continue to do above and beyond what she normally does in a week. My, my kids had to step up and, and go beyond. And so I know that's for, for all of the families that sent as well, but also you guys. Uh, one of the, the, the cultural characteristics that we're continuing to try to build in our church is that we are a sending church that looks to send people onto the mission field. And I verified my numbers with, with Joel Van Ham as we get to the end of this giving calendar year. And we, we talked about giving a couple weeks ago, uh, but we budgeted to give over $80,000 to missions. And, and for a church for our size, for a church for our budget, that's a substantial piece of, of what we're doing to send people. And as you give and as you give faithfully and as you give to the mission and vision of the church, that's what we're given for, not only for partnerships, but for mobilization of others to be able to go. And then I uh, checked with Joel as well. And what we've been able to do as, as needs and as opportunities become available, we've already to this day not only fulfilled what we're going to give in the 80000 but we've given an additional $18,000 above and beyond that of unbudgeted, but seeing opportunities that God would allow. And by the end of the year, we'll be well over $100,000 of what we've been able to give toward local, uh, national, and foreign missions. And so uh, that's not us saying what we've done as a staff. Uh, that's us saying thank you for what you do as you partner with us in ministry to make sure that the gospel is carried all over this world, all right? So thank you guys as a church so much much for what you do, so much for allowing us to be a church that sins and continue to do that, right? So many places right now are, are, are looking inside and inside only, but we understand and know the truth of what Mike spoke about that first night that we were there, the truth of what we know about the Great Commission, that we are called to go, and that's what we want to do. So church, thank you, thank you so, so much. Well, as we look at Psalm chapter 16, I want to kind of give a, a little bit of, of background as I can to, to kind of give a setting. We've tried 
to try to do that each week. Now, we, we know from, from the very beginning what, what we see added in here is that this is a psalm written by David. David has written a little bit over 50% of the psalms. Some of them that we've looked at during this series have been psalms of David. Some of them have not. This is a psalm of David. Now, what we do not know about this is we do not know when in the life of David that he wrote this psalm. But what we do know as we read through, and this is going to be a theme that you see, is David is writing this psalm out of personal joy, out of the joy that he has experienced in his relationship with God. Now, I'm going to refer to it as personal joy in Christ, knowing that, right, Christ hasn't come yet, but Christ is. And so even as David looks forward, he, he knows the longing of his Messiah who will come, his Messiah who will save. And in fact, in a wonderful first person possessive over and over, over 12 times in this psalm, as David talks about the joy that's experienced in a relationship with God, he says, my, my. Now this doesn't mean this isn't for all of us. But in the intimacy of the moment, what David knows in the, in the dynamic of his relationship with God is that this is for him, and that this is for those who are found in Christ. And what he'll declare and what we'll get to is that everything good of what David's going to talk about, everything good in his life, everything that, that, that you experience that's good, everything that I experience that is good, all of this comes from God. All of it flows from him. And so David is one who's received. David is one who was the, the youngest of the brothers, the, the shepherd, the least likely, but who God chose, who God called for himself to establish and to put on a throne as king. David knows that everything good that he's going to experience, everything good from his life is going to come from God. And that's going to be the central drive of his joy of what we're going to find out. But also kind of a, a neat aspect within this, there's, there's a group of psalms which are looked at and identified as a messianic psalm. Meaning that this, when you look at this, there's a layer of, of prophecy that we can find within this psalm as it points to, talks about the coming Christ who will come and who will save, who will die, who will raise to life again and call for himself a people. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, Peter uses this psalm in his message. I want, I want to read it to you. It'll, it'll be on the screen. He says this, he says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then verse 25, for David said, 
says concerning him. So what Peter's doing here is Peter is affirming to them what he has just proclaimed by using Scripture. Now remember, there's not New Testament Scripture to point back to. So the Scripture that he will reference is Old Testament Scripture, and he references Psalm 16. He says, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I might not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul in Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Just as Isaac and, and Leslie led us in. In your presence, Lord. In your presence is where I want to be. In your presence is where I find goodness. His presence is where I find life. So this psalm written before Christ was born is written celebrating all that God has done for David in his life. But as we have the opportunity to look back on it and see through the person of Jesus Christ. So let's read starting in verse 1 of Psalm 16. David writes and he says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrow of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. So this morning, what I want us to do is to look at three types of goodness that come from our relationship in Christ. And my first one that I want us to look at is the goodness of Christ in life. David begins by saying, preserve me. And what David is declaring is that he needs to do God, he needs God to do something important in his life. What he needs God to do is to keep him, to preserve him, right? Like go back to your grandma's kitchen and her doing preserves and canning things, right? Why did she do those so they wouldn't spoil, they wouldn't go to waste, they wouldn't be ruined, but instead that they will be kept. And it's the same imagery that we see with David. David says to the Lord, preserve me, keep me, keep me here. And he begins to describe a depth of relationship that he knows that he needs from the Lord. Now, what I think is really interesting in this, as I think about my mind, as I think about so many times the request that I make to God, David doesn't say, save me, because he's in trouble. And there were plenty of times where David found himself in trouble. David doesn't say, reward me because of what he had done right. And there were plenty of times that, that David had done what God called him to in the difficult places that he had found himself in. He simply looks at God, and in his expression of joy, he says, keep me, keep me. And then what we'll see is this declaration 
comes out of a depth of relationship of David knowing God. I want to ask you a question. I want to, and I want you to think about these four words. Do you know God? Do you know God? Now, I didn't ask you, do you believe in God? I didn't ask you, do you trust God? I didn't ask, do you do things for God? The question that I want you to wrestle with in your mind, whether you're a person here who would openly say, no, I don't know, I'm just, I'm just here. Or a person in a journey of faith, of seeking to grow in your faith. Do you know God? Not even do you know about God. Not do you know things of God. But in the depth of who you are, do you know God? David says this, verse 1 and 2, he says, Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. He says, keep me, and I want to be in your presence. And that in that is where the depth of knowing comes from, right? Being away on, on this mission trip, I love every mission trip that I've ever had the opportunity to be on. The group of men that we had, I, I, I knew all of them but had an opportunity to grow in a depth of a relationship with each one of them. Every day we ate together. We laughed together, probably a little too much. We worked together, all of them more than me. I'll talk about that in a minute. We talked together, and in that, a depth of a relationship was formed. And I look at so many things for us with God. And I think what you and I are trying to do, if you can kind of picture it this way, is like skim the surface of the egg without breaking the shell when it comes to a relationship with him, right? Like it's enough. Like we can say we're there. We can say that we know him, but do we know him at a depth that digs down deep? So the question that I ask for you, do you know God? If the answer is yes, then my question for you is this. Are you skimming the surface or are you digging down? Because David says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. We talked about it the other week when we had the image of God being the tower that we find and we seek refuge in. Right? We don't stand by the tower to take our refuge. We don't go on top of the tower to find our refuge. We don't know about the tower to find our refuge, but we go into the tower in order to experience the refuge. And so where's our preserving gonna be found? Where does this depth come from? It goes from us digging into him. And that's hard. And it's difficult, but it's rewarding. David says in these two verses, two truths that come from this, he says, as I've dug into my relationship, as he preserves me, as I take refuge in him, he gives these two statements of, of great and wonder and power and maturity of faith. He says, you are my Lord, you alone. A word that we throw out a lot, a word that we say, a word that we sing, that Jesus is our Lord. But do we understand what that word means? As David says, you are my master and you are my ruler. 
So I go where you tell me to go. I do what you tell me to do. I'm obedient in what you call me to obey in every single one of these moments. That's what it means that Jesus is Lord. Church is more than a bumper sticker. You call me to go, I go. You call me to obey, then I'm going to obey. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. But if I am willing to say that you are my Lord, then I'm saying that you are my master. Right? The second thing that he says here, and I love this. He says, I have no good apart from you. I have no good apart from you. King David, who could have stood out and looked over the kingdom, King David, who had mighty soldiers and warriors. King David, who had power and money and influence. And in all of the goodness of his life, of all of the decisions that he had made, of all of the battles that he had won, in all of these moments that David looks at everything that is there in his failures as well and says, I have no good that's apart from you. David writes in this and says, it's not a part about what I've grown through and this is what I've done. It's not about what I've learned and what I've achieved. It's not what I've worked hard within myself to to push forward to. He says, in this and in this alone, you are my Lord and I have no good apart from you. And that this is the first two lines of what it means for us to understand of what it looks like to live in the goodness of Christ in this life. That you're my Lord and everything that's good, everything that's right, Everything that brings a smile to my face and brings joy to my heart is from you and you alone. That's the goodness in the life of Christ. But he continues on. Verse, verse three and four. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. So the goodness of life in Christ is found in knowing him as Lord and knowing him as what he's called to our life, but also in the relationship with others. And here in verses 3 and 4, we get two snapshots as David describes them. Uh, verse 3 says, as for the saints in the land, the, the people of God, the, the family of God. I, I read this from, from an author this week, and I wanted to share this with you. And this is not painting a picture of us boasting about who we are in ourselves, but it's about boasting in who God is and what he wants to do with us. This author wrote, he said, in spite of our faults and failures, believers are God's elite, his nobility on earth. That's who we are. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter two that we are the poetry of God. That God in all of the ways and means of what he could do to reveal to the world his holiness, his goodness, his righteousness, and his salvation through Christ and Christ alone. He chose us. And that's who we are. We're saints with the story. We're saints with hope who have been bought and purchased and redeemed for the glory of God to live for his name and to draw people to himself. And then secondly, in verse four, he describes the lost. And I love David's words. 
He says they chase things, but what they chase lead to them growing in their sorrows. It's, it's, it's a beautifully sad way to look at lostness in this world. What they're chasing they think will bring them life and bring them hope and bring them goodness, but all that they chase after, all they pursue, all it's going to continue is to bring them sorrow because in the end it does not satisfy, in the end it does not save, and it will burn up just like with all of this. And what they have is their sorrows. A question, and I really appreciate the guys on the mission trip, they helped me write this. One of the questions that was asked one night is, does your life reflect the light of Christ? Is this who you are? Is this what you've done? One day I had, a, I had uh, Brent Hawkins was riding with me to the, to the hardware store. Uh, Brent's going to exactly know the story that I'm talking about now, that I'm saying that he's in the car with me and him alone. And we are, I found, I, I love this when I go out of town, I found a pastor on the radio, all right? I found me one. And every time, and, and most days, our men would get to work and they'd get to get on jobs. And then we would realize we didn't have something that we needed. And so I was the guy with the truck and the credit card that would go and, and do this. And so I burned through about a tank of gas in about two and a half days. And I know where every Lowe's, Home Depot, Ferguson, Tractor Supply, I know where all that is in the greater Asheville area because that was my job for several days was to get this. Well, well I told Brent, I said, man, I found this preacher on the radio. And so I want us to listen to him as we're riding back, it's about a 30-minute drive. So we were there kind of in between uh, Asheville and, 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 and where we were staying, and we were at a red light, and we were listening to this preacher that was preaching, and the light turned green, and all of a sudden I heard, I'm going. So we're going. We're riding down the road. What? Riding down the road a little bit more. And now I'm starting to have a complex. Like, that's one of the things that terrifies me, right? Is that I'm going to be that guy that everybody's having to blow the horn at. So now I'm looking like, am I losing two by fours as we're riding down the road, you know? And there's some good Samaritan falling behind me going, this poor guy, bless his heart, he's losing all of it. And as I'm riding down the road, I hear, hunk, 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 hunk. And then it clicked. It wasn't outside. It was on my radio. And the pastor that's preaching was during the middle of lockdown of COVID. And they're out in a parking lot. And instead of saying amen because you're in your car, everybody was blowing their horns. And I love that. I love that. So if we do sunrise service again this year and we go that style and you're blowing your horns, just don't do it in here. Brent said he was going to download an app on his phone and do that during the message. Don't do that. That would throw me off, all right? But here's what this pastor said one day on one of my trips. He said, do we understand that the most monumental event in the course of history is the resurrection of Jesus Christ? That that is the most important thing that has ever happened. And he asked his church this question, does your life reflect every day that Jesus is alive? Does every moment of your life reflect the fact that he is no longer in the tomb, that Jesus is alive? Or does your life reflect death? That in our practical application of what we say we believe, he's still in the tomb. And that struck me. And that's part of when we see within the lostness of this world. Church is the challenge that I have for you when you go home today. 
It's the challenge that I have for you when you, when you step into your office tomorrow. Students, when you walk onto your hallway at school, when we're walking through and interacting with our neighbors in our neighborhood, does your life that you live reflect the truth, the most important truth that's ever been shared, that Jesus is alive and that in him we find hope and transformation and power and joy in the midst of all of this? Or do we live our life like he's still in the tomb? the difference between the saint and the lost. He continues on, David does in verse five. He says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. So when Israel conquered and inherited and went into the promised land, each tribe was given a special inheritance of land except for the tribe of Levi. So imagine you're a part of the tribe of Levi and you see all the other tribes and this is going to be your land and this is going to be your land and this is going to be your land and Levi's like, what about us, right? Well, we're just kind of hanging out over here. We'd like to get somewhere too. It ain't got to be as much as everybody else's, but could we get something, you know? And, and you see in time and time again that they don't, but then they're told, but you're going to get something special. You're going to get something special. And what the Levites would get, what their inheritance would be, was their service in the temple of the Lord was their inheritance. And so what they gained, what they gathered in this was that, no, 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 they get the land, they're going to get the mountains, they're going to get the rivers, they're going to get all of this, but what you are going to get is you are going to get the Lord. And that's what David is weaving in through here of understanding in the goodness of God. So was David from Levi? No, David was not from Levi, and this is why it's pointing to Christ. Because he says, you are my cup. You are my portion. And we're gonna see this at the very end, that you are what I get, and you are what I obtain. And so if we have the Lord, then what else do we need? Nothing. Nothing. If we have the Lord, what else do we need? But the counter of that that brings great tragedy is this. If we have everything and do not have the Lord, then we have nothing. Then we have nothing. Right? That's what we begin to see and look at of what it means to know God. My health has left me, but I have the Lord. My family is gone, but I have the Lord. My money has left me, but I have the Lord. That in all of these things, the depth of what it means to know. And so these last two verses, he says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me, verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. So David here in these last two verses, 7 and 8, he describes what fellowship with God looks like of what it means to, to sit down at the table with God. You know, that's when you really begin to have the interactions. 
Not through email, not through social media, not through text messages, but when you sit down together. While I was gone uh, on the mission trip, a very short mission trip for me, you can ask my wife. Like We talked every single day. We would text. We would talk at night. We would have these. But when I got home, what we both realized really quickly is that we need to spend time with each other. We need to be in the presence with one another. And so what David is saying is there's that part where, where if we're just going through the religious things that we're supposed to do. We're missing it. And so here's what fellowship with God looks like of a depth of knowing him. He says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel, who instructs me, who says, this is your plot and path in life to to take and to do. And that lays out obedience. He says, "I've I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. Well, during the day of David, who would have known this as a king, the person who sat at the right hand of the king was his advocate. Now, David's not saying that David is the king over Jesus, but what David is saying that in here, what we have in Christ is an advocate who every single day of every moment is, is, is working for you, who is working for me, who is lining out the, the plan of our life for us to trust and follow him. And, and, and David, as we're going to look at these last three, three verses really quickly, David's going to point to the goodness of Christ in this life sets a trajectory for the next two areas of goodness that we're going to see. It sets a trajectory for us that you and I oftentimes are afraid of, that you and I oftentimes uh, uh, hit an area of sadness when it's thought about or when it's discussed, and not only within us, but also within the world. And so we're going to see this. Look at verse 9 and 10. He says, Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. What we're going to look at and understand here is the goodness of Christ in death. Theologian said, to delight in the Lord and his goodness and then lose all these blessings at death would be a great tragedy. This is only possible, the goodness of Christ in death, because Christ is alive. If Christ is dead, then all this is pointless. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that if Christ was not resurrected from the dead, then our faith is pointless and we ought to be pitied. Right, and so that's what is interesting about certain people who want to meld and mesh different faiths together. Like everything that Jesus says points to his resurrection and is fulfilled in his resurrection. So if you don't believe in the resurrection, then you don't believe in Christ. And David says, since Christ is not dead, that David can face death with a glad heart and a glad soul because death isn't the end. It's just a step. In our world, I don't want to ignore the hurt and the pain and the suffering and the finality that death brings. But it is limited to and bound to this life for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And that's what makes the difference. We've experienced that. We've experienced that a lot this year. And what is remarkable for me when we sit down and we go through someone who's experiencing that in their family, you got 
some families sitting here now that death is all too fresh to them. Where the hope comes out, where the joy is found, is in the realization that while death is the finality of this life, you're not going to see him again here. You're not going to talk to him again. They're not going to be around for Christmas or birthdays. There's going to be pain. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be tears. There's going to be mourning that goes with that. But it's not final for those of us who are in Christ. It's not the finality that everyone sees. In Christ, there's a newness that death brings. In Christ, there's a birth that can take place because of death. And it's the last one that we're going to see in verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures, and amen to this word forevermore. Right? And it's the goodness of Christ in eternity. I want to ask you a question. We started off with one. We're going to end on one. When you come to eternity, what comes to mind? When you think of eternity, and you begin to paint that picture of what it's going to be like, what comes to mind? Some that come to my mind, people that have gone before us. As parents, siblings, children, friends. You can go back in your mind to the rawness of the moment where you found out that you would not see that person anymore and then you can find yourself finding that goodness of thinking through eternity and what it will be and that being reunited. You can think of that. For some of us, when we think of eternity, right, we, 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 man, we jump straight to Revelation, right? We think of all those descriptions of the angels and the, the beings, the heavenly beings that are there and, and trying to get the imagery of what John is talking about and, and, and trying to, to paint. And so we think of those things. We, we, we think of the ornate descriptions of, of what heaven will be like with the, with the streets and, and, and the gates and, and the houses and the structures and, and all of those. Some of us, and we were part of those, this, this conversation, kind of came up, like, like we're, we're waiting for some answered questions, right? Like just that moment, like, like maybe like all of us can just kind of have five minutes. We're like, all right, mosquitoes, fire ants, right? Humidity in the South. Like, could you give them to me? I need to know what's the purpose of all this, right? Nats in Lexington, help me out with this, Lord, right? Like, we think of all of these things that are there. And, and all of these things, we can label if they're going to happen or, or, or not. But what David is pointing us to, the truth of all of Scripture, of what Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5 points us to, is that all of the center of the joy that we're going to experience experience in eternity is not found in any aspect of heaven. It's Jesus himself. That he's it. That there doesn't need to be a sun because the light radiates from him. That all of the goodness that's there, of all of the joy that is found, 
of all of the suffering that has been removed, of every tear that has been wiped away, that all of it focuses on him and who he is and in the goodness of life that's found in him and him alone. And that's what David points us to. You make known to me the path of your life, and in your presence, there's the fullness of joy. Not the sampling of joy, the fullness of joy. And at your right hand are your pleasures forevermore. It's Jesus. I want to ask you a question as we wrap up. Do you know God? Do you know God? And are you known by him? Let's pray. Lord, I come to you this morning thanking you and praising you, Lord, for the opportunities that we have to live in your presence here on this earth. Lord, I pray for us as echoing the words of King David. Lord, preserve us, O oh God. In you may we take refuge. Lord, you are our Lord and we have no good apart from you. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us here that we would take a depth of step of knowing you, getting more and more engaged, more and more desiring, more and more obedient, more and more longing for your presence in our life so that we can grow and that we can mature and that we can see as you would have us to see. Lord, I pray for those of us in this room who this year have experienced death. And Lord, while they know the, the pain of death, the brokenness that comes with death, Lord, could they be reminded this morning of the goodness of Christ in everything, including loss. Lord, just take our eyes and our hearts and set them and turn them toward eternity. And Lord, may we lose any secondary desire here on this earth and secondary longing in eternity that is anything other than you. Because Jesus, you are our cup and you are our portion. In you and you alone is their life. In you and you alone is their faith, is their joy, is their hope. Lord, you take broken things and you make them new. You take dead things and you give them life. You take things that are dirty and you make them clean. Lord, you restore. So, Lord, I thank you for what you've done in my life and what you are continuing to do as you take this broken, busted up, failure-ridden, sinful, 
prideful, lustful, ego-driven man, and you mold him and shape him, and you do not call me by any of those, but you call me a saint. And every day, you take every moment of every aspect and shape me more and more into the image and likeness of Christ here on this earth so that we can go and we can take our story, we can take what you've done, and we can declare it to the nations so that as they seek the things that bring them sorrow, God, that they can begin to look and see that you're the one that brings life, that all of those things are dead, and it is in Christ and Christ alone where life is found, where joy is given. And you do that not only in my life, but everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. Jesus, I thank you for loving us. I thank you for saving us. I thank you for the fact, Lord, that the tomb is empty. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we respond in worship? Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.